Welcome to the Barnes Review History Hour. This is your host, John Friend. Today is Thursday, December 21st, 2023. The Barnes Review History Hour is a program featuring contributors to the Barnes Review History Magazine, a bi-monthly print and digital publication dedicated to bringing history into accord with the facts, as well as other special guests. Please do consider subscribing to the magazine if you are not already. Check out barnesreview.org for all the details. And today I am joined by Bishop Richard Williamson. All right, Bishop Richard Williamson, welcome to the program, sir. How are you today? As well as I can hope. Good. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to good to connect with you. I have heard you interviewed on other programs in the past, including most recently on Dr. Kevin Barrett's radio program. And okay. so it's, it's quite an honor to speak with you. And I was wondering to get started, could you kind of just um, briefly introduce yourself, talk about where you were born, your education, and your professional experience in the Catholic Church? I was born in 1940. That's 83 years ago, so I'm, I'm getting an old man. Uh, I was born in, London, in the area of London. Uh, I lived in England for the next 20 years, um, or 21 years. I was um, in the kindergarten. I was then in a, what's called in England a preparatory school from the age of 8 to 13. Uh, in a secondary school or a pub, what's called in England a public school, from uh, 13 to 18. I was at Cambridge University from 18 to 21. 21, I was in journalism for about a year and a half. Then I gravitated towards teaching in my former preparatory school. Then I spent two years in, uh, in the ancient colony of West Africa, the Gold Coast in West Africa. Uh, then I came back at the age of 25 to London, where a former uh, school teacher of mine was headmaster, and he invited me to come and teach, which I did for five years in London, uh, to the age of 30. At the age of 30, I thought that maybe the Catholic Church was the right solution, um, whereas going on school teaching would not be the right solution. So I left school teaching in uh, 17, or what am I talking about? No, I'm not that old. Uh, in, in 1970, um, I was in the school, uh, well, in, 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 in 1963. I was two years in Africa, 61, 63. From, uh, well, I beg your pardon, 63 to 65. I was in journalism and a bit of teaching between 61 and 63. In, um, in, in Africa, teach, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh. Uh, Sixty-five, I came back to London. I was five years at a fairly well-known school in London, St. Paul's School, out in West London. Uh, Seventy, I left school teaching because it didn't seem to be going in the right direction. Seventy-two, I entered the Catholic Church because that's what seemed to be the right direction. Oh, Seventy-one, I was received. Seventy-one, I was converted. Early 71, I was received into the Catholic Church by Father John John Flanagan of Polgate, Sussex. Uh, in 70, 71, uh, what am I, I lose track, I'm sorry. That's the it's penalty okay. being, It's the penalty of being 83 years old. My mind is beginning to slip to anchor. 
in 1971, I was received into the church. 72, I entered in Switzerland the seminary of Archbishop Lefebvre. 76, I was ordained priest by Archbishop Lefebvre in Switzerland. Uh, 70 to 60, 77, I was in the German-speaking seminary of the society. 77 to 82, I was five years in the French-speaking seminary of the society. Uh, 70, what was that? What did I just say? I was five years in Ecole. Uh 77 to 82. Um, 82 to 2003, I was in the English-speaking seminary of the United, in the United States. Um, 2003 to 2008, I was in the Spanish-speaking society. I was always in the seminaries. I was always a seminary professor. Um, then in the 80th, 80, one moment, I lost, I lost track again. Uh, 83, no, 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 what about 2003? 2003, after 21 years in the United States, 82 to 2003, that's right, 21 years in the United States. Uh, then 2003, I was shipped down to South America to the Society Seminary outside of Buenos Aires in Argentina. In 2008, uh, 2009, I was thrown out of Argentina by the civil authorities and brought back to, shipped back to England. Well, I shipped myself back to England because I was thrown out. Um, I was thrown out of Argentina basically for having denied the Holocaust, for having said that the eight million, the six million deliberately murdered Jews in Germany is a myth. Right. That was enough, that was enough to get me thrown out of Argentina. So, yeah, and, okay. and, I, and I remember, I remember the news breaking of that when it happened. That, that would have been yes. 2009. So basically most of your, your, your career, I mean, by the time you were 30 is when you really kind of joined the church. You ended up becoming um, an ordained priest of the Catholic Church. And the, the whole time you were, you were more or less associated with the, is it the fraternity of St. Pius X? Yes. Okay. So that you were pretty much affiliated with that organization. That, that, and now is that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that, that's, is that, what's the best way to describe that? Is that a faction of the Catholic Church, or is it a an order of the Catholic Church? It was a lawful, originally lawful, a priestly congregation of the Catholic Church. Okay, I see. And then you were essentially expelled from the fraternity of St. Pius X in 2009 due to your comments about the alleged Holocaust. No, I was sorry, I was expelled from Argentina. Oh, expelled from Argentina. Okay. By the civil authorities. I was expelled from the Society of St. Pius X, I think it was in 2012 or 2013. I've lost track. I can't remember. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that sounds about right. I, I'm, I'm looking, I'm actually looking at the, is it the St. Marcel initiative.org? That's, is that like your main website? Probably. Yes. I don't yeah. even know them. Okay. Yeah. No, oh. I'm, I'm, yeah, I've, I've got your bio here and, and I'll, I'll post a link to this for people to check out, you know, in, in more detail if they're interested in, in sort of your background yeah. in history. So basically you have a, a long and storied history w within the Catholic Church teaching in, in, in Catholic seminaries. And y you've endured a number of controversies 
associated with the church. Can you t talk about, you know, maybe give, give us just an overview of this? Is it all more or less relating to your controversial opinions about the Second World War and other events no. like 9-11, for example? It's much, it's much broader than that. Um, it's, it's an insight which I reckon I, reckon, I reckon I acquired fairly early on into the wrongness of the modern world. The modern world is deeply flawed, F-L-A-W-E-D. It has a deep flaw in it. And what is that deep flaw? That deep flaw is liberalism following on Protestantism in the big bad world inside the church. Liberalism and modernism were held at bay uh, for quite a long time. But um, in, in the middle of the 20th century, the, the dikes of the Catholic Church began to give way in front of the onslaught of modernism, which is a, the grandchild of Protestantism and the child of liberalism. So you've got Protestantism, liberalism, modernism, and then you had, in the middle of the 20th century, neo-modernism, which is the revival of the previous modernism, and that revival was the downfall of the, Catholic, of the mainstream Catholic Church, let's just say. Okay, very interesting. And so would, would that, that sort of like uh, downfall of the Catholic Church, would that um, essentially be epitomized by like the Second Vatican Council? Absolutely. It was let loose. The downfall was let loose by Vatican II. Right. The downfall, the downfall was, was implicit in Protestantism. Um, implicit, another further stage forward in, in implicitness in liberalism, and modernism is the combination of Protestantism and liberalism. It's all one evil mess by, okay. which, modern, by which modern man is throwing off the one and true almighty God. Yeah. That... His Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. Right. Three, three in one, one in three. That's the mysterious doctrine of the Holy Trinity, but it's true. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. I think you're definitely on to something there. And I wanted to actually talk a little bit more about Vatican II, the Vatican II Council. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm certainly no, no expert on it. Um, I mean, my general understanding, it was, um, and it, well, as you said, sort of like an attempt to modernize the Catholic Church. Is that a an accurate yes. way of looking at it? Yeah, it's sort of bringing it up to, to modern standards. It, it's and, an attempt to bring ice out of the cave to sell it in the sunshine the sunshine of the market, but in the sunshine of the market, unfortunately, the ice melts, and therefore the, the, the ice is no longer any use to the market, and the market is no longer any use to the ice. If you want to apply you... that, mm -hmm. it's the principles of the new godless world, Protestantism and liberalism, um, applied inside to the Catholic Church in the hope that they will bring the Catholic Church in line with the sunshine out of the modern world, Unfortunately, the sunshine melts the ice, and that's the end of the Catholic Church. Okay. Liberalism, yeah. liberalism is like the hot sun. Ice is like Catholic doctrine. It doesn't shift. It doesn't move. It doesn't change. And you put ice in sunshine. You put Catholic doctrine into the modern world's principles and ideas, liberty, equality, fraternity, the rights of man, democracy, all of that nonsense, so to speak. Uh, dissolves Catholicism. 
Yeah, no, I think you again, I think you're definitely onto something. Um what would you say are are like the main critiques of the Vatican II Council that that you that you would make or like the main points that, you know, m- most people probably wouldn't wouldn't know about. Like how did how exactly did it change the traditional Catholic Church? Um by centering religion on man instead of centering it on God. That's in one sentence. Okay, very and interesting. The way, in, the, way, the way in which you center things on man, instead of centering them on God, is by liberty, equality, fraternity. Liberty for man to think and to act as he likes, instead of having to obey Ten Commandments. Equality for man, instead of having to have superiors and uh, everything democratic, instead of everything in a hierarchical order, with superiors and leaders, and followers and uh, subjects, and everything fraternal and lovely, lovely, and cozy, cozy, and friendly, friendly, instead of um, organizing human relations in accordance with the will of God. So Interesting. Fraternity. So it's it's a it's a so a fundamental rejection of the traditional Catholic view, right? Yes, a fundamental a fundamental inject, a rejection of truth. Mm, okay. A, re- a rejection of any order or hierarchy in society by the affirmation of democracy and the affirmation of any uh, any kind of friction or nastiness in, in between human beings. Everybody's got to be nicey-nicey, and that's the new fraternity. Regardless of God, is men going to be brothers without having to have a God as their father? Interesting. Yeah, no, that, that sounds that's – I think that's a, a – a very good way of looking at it you know and i remember reading um an article way back in like 2012 that was published in the jewish daily forward and the article was titled converts who change the church and it describes how a group of jews who who allegedly converted to catholicism really sort of like led the way at the vatican II council um, oh help, yes. Help, yeah, yeah. I was curious if, if if you knew anything about that. I'm sure. I mean, obviously, I'm sure you knew I, I, knew all about I this. Did, yeah. I didn't know the article, but those poor people have been enemies of the church for two thousand years, ever since they crucified Christ. Yeah, yeah. I I totally agree with that. Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, he, th- this was basically an admission that the article was written by John Connolly, who's a history professor at the University of California, Berkeley, and he wrote a book called From Enemy to Brother, The Revolution in Catholic Teaching on the Jews, yeah. 1933 yeah. to 1965. Are you familiar yeah. with this book? No, I'm not, but I can, okay. I can guess. I can guess, I think I can guess the contents. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, pretty much, I don't think it's fair to say that all of the, the major changes at Vatican II were done by, you know, converso Jews, but... They certainly played a a leading role in some of the most important developments at Vatican II. And it's interesting because um, in this article, and I, I have not read the book, but the article was very um, illuminating because it actually more or less admits that these quote-unquote Jewish converts actually retained a very high sense of their Jewish identity even after, no. even after allegedly converting to Catholicism. And yep. – yeah, and, and, and a lot of them allegedly converted in the wake of Hitler's ascent to power in the early 1930s, and they all were more or less fundamentally driven 
um, by their desire to combat national socialism and its racial teachings on Jews and just their their more or less like exposure of Jewish power and influence and this like anti-Christian, um, anti-European Jewish agenda that yep. you know that was central to their propaganda and to their worldview. So I thought this was very interesting. Um, and in it, the, the article identifies a number of these converso Jews. And um, if I'm not mistaken, didn't Vatican II basically um, it, it almost it almost like like how the Schofield Bible and Christian Zionism put Jews at like the center of like modern, um, you know, Protestant thinking on Jews. It was sort yep. of like the same process with Vatican II, right? Yep. I mean, out of Vatican II, it, the, the Catholic Church officially denied that the Jews were collectively responsible for Christ's death. Correct. And, right. And it, of course, you know, decried all forms of racism and especially, most importantly, quote unquote, anti-Semitism, which I found was very interesting. And also it, it put like the Holocaust story, which I'd like to get your take on. Um, as like a central pillar of like modern Catholic teaching, right? Absolutely. Interesting. Well, yeah, no, I'm curious what, what you think of this. I mean, obviously, I, I, I kind of – at least that's my general understanding of the role that these alleged converso Jews played. And, and the Catholic Church has a long history of dealing with Jewish individ, – ethnically Jewish individuals allegedly converting to Catholicism and then, yep. and then fundamentally undermining the faith and undermining – Christian um, society. So I'm, I'm curious. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They have been the enemies of the Catholic Church for 2,000 years. They are almost fated to be enemies of the church and enemies of man and enemies of God. That's what St. Paul says in the first epistle of the Thessalonians. And uh, it's a passage that's not very well known, but it is there. And then it makes one understand why the Jews want to rewrite the New Testament. That's their plan. To, to, you said to rewrite the New Testament? Yes. Well, in, in, the, in the modern age, it almost seems like the Jews want to replace Christianity with the Holocaust story. Like the Holocaust is has itself become like this – like religion in the West and, and it's yep. like the central – yeah, it's like the central – the central focus of, of certainly our historical narrative, but also like our modern interpretation of the world and, and race relations. And, you know, we're, we're hearing all about anti-Semitism now with this conflict raising in, in, in Palestine. I don't even really like to call it a conflict. It's more or less a genocide being committed against the, the, the Palestinians by the Jews in Israel. That's um, right. Yeah. They believe well, themselves fully justified in exterminating the remains of uh, these people that were one of the peoples that the, uh, the Jews were meant to exterminate in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's interesting. But there's a difference. The difference is that in the, old, in, in the Old Testament, all of these people, all of these peoples that the Jews were directed to exterminate, exterminate, let's use that word, they were directed to exterminate these people because they were pagans and idolaters. And if the Jews did not exterminate the idolaters as on God's commands, then inevitably the Jews would pick up, pick up the pagans' ways. They would be infected with the pagans, 
the pagans ways by, for instance, intermarriage. And then the Jews would pick up paganism rather than the paganism pick up the true religion. That's why the Almighty God, Almighty God said, you have to exterminate these people. You're going in to occupy their land. I'm going to give it to you because they don't deserve to occupy it, occupy it any longer. I want you to, be, to raise yourselves as a, an independent race of people in your own land in order to serve an, as, exa as an example and a light to the Gentiles, to the pagans, and the cradle of, the future, of, your, of, of, the, of mankind's future Messiah. You Jews must be the cradle of the Messiah. And then the Messiah came, and the Jews were so corrupt that they, they crucified him. Instead of adoring him and serving him, and cre they creating the Catholic Church, that was not according to their ideas. They wanted to be not the, great servant, the greatest servants of God, but the top dogs of mankind. And our Lord was not going to make them the top dogs of mankind. He would, he, his future chosen race would be by faith and no longer by race. You could no longer be born a Jew or born a Catholic. You had to believe, be baptized and believe to make, make yourself into a Catholic. Okay, then right. So, it, so you're arguing that 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 was that was Christ's fundamental message, and that was a message that the, the Jews that we know today fundamentally rejected at the time, and, and still do and reject, reject yeah. and, re and reject ever since. Yeah, exactly, and have rejected ever since. So, what I mean, we had talked about how Vatican II, like, basically um, excused the Jews for being collectively responsible for the death of Christ. How do they now? How does the the, the Catholic Church now officially interpret the death of Christ? I mean, who who was responsible responsible for the, for the death of Christ? For the death of Christ. Well, they, they, they skid off in a different direction, and they say, we are all responsible for the death. That's the way they love to do it. We are all responsible for the death of Jesus Christ, which in a, in a different sense is perfectly true. He died to, to save all of us, without exception, except with the exception of his mother, to, to save all of us from the fires of hell. That's true, but that doesn't mean to say that we were all the instruments of his death. They were the main instruments of his death, only they, they skillfully disguised it as they're, they're likely to do, they're apt to do. They disguised it as the, the Romans being responsible. And to this day, a number of them, a number of the Jews will tell you, it's the Romans killed him, not we Jews. Forgetting that it was, of course, the Jews who set up the crowds that Pilate gave way. You know, it was the Jews who were responsible for the crowds. The crowds were responsible for Pilate deciding what he decided, which was the crucifixion. Pilate was responsible for the crucifixion of our Lord. He was the political administrator with, administrator with the authority of um, capital punishment. So Pilate was officially responsible, but the real agents of Christ's death behind the scenes were the leaders of the Jews and then the crowd in the square. Yeah, and what's interesting yeah, what is that is basically that. reflected in the Gospels. I mean, that's that's the message of the Gospels if you read them themselves. Of course it is. And Gospels are the Word of God. They belong to Scripture. They're the Word of God. So the Gospels are free of error. So what the Gospels say is the truth. Of course, the Jews, Jews don't admit that, and they want to change the Gospels. They want to rewrite the Gospels. 
Right, exactly. Interesting. Well, you know, I wanted to read just a brief section from this article that I had mentioned that was published in the in the Jewish Daily Forward about these um, Jewish converts to Catholicism, yes. these, these experts. Yes. Yeah, it says here. The, so the, these experts, the, again, the, these these Jews who who allegedly converted to Catholicism right after Hitler came into power, and I think it's very clear that they did this in order to undermine the church and to um, manipulate it, and which eventually culminated in the Vatican II Council. So it says yeah. here, the, the, these experts did not begin their work in the 1960s. From outposts in Austria and Switzerland, several had tried to formulate Catholic arguments against anti-Semitism under the shadow of Nazism three decades earlier. They were as unrepresentative of Catholicism as one can imagine. Not only were they Central Europeans, brave enough to stand up to Hitler when it counted, but they mostly had not been born Catholic. The Catholics who helped bring the church to recognition of the continuing sanctity of the Jewish people were converts, many of them from Jewish families. And it Very goes well. Yeah, it's interesting. And it and, and I think about that. I mean these so these these Jewish quote unquote converts helped the church recognize the sanctity of the Jewish people, elevate the Jewish people and their narratives about the Holocaust and persecution and how, you know, actually the you know, the Jews cannot be held collectively for the crucifixion of Christ. I mean, it's really incredible looking at this history. Yep. So anyways, I did want to read that briefly. Um, I'll post a link sure. to that article when I post this podcast program. Um, sure. I have one more question about Vatican II and just the, the – the, I guess the, the kind of current state of the Catholic Church. Well, I guess a couple more actually. Um, one, are, was there – I mean obviously there was at the time this council was taking place. It took place over a number of years if I'm not mistaken in, in – ultimately culminated, I think, in like the, the 1960s. But was there pushback on these sort of like subversive, very non-traditional views of the Bible and scripture and the role of the Jews in in Christian history? Was there pushback within the church? Um, and, and is there pushback on these on these doctrines and these understandings and, and Vatican II in general today within the Catholic Church? Um, there was some pushback at the time, yes, but it wasn't nearly as strong as it should have been because Catholics were doctrinally weak. They didn't know their doctrine. They didn't know what the church has been teaching for 20, 2,000 years about the Jews as enemies of God and enemies of mankind. That's in scripture. It's, be, it's always been Catholic doctrine. Some of the church fathers in the first few centuries of the church were very severe against Jews at that time. But the Jews, the, the, the Catholic, the real Catholic faith is something, is the one thing, and I think you can say, that the Jews cannot handle. They can handle almost anything else, but they can't handle the Catholic faith. They're like cats on a hot tin roof when it comes to the Catholic faith. They just... It, it, it blows their minds, Christ being God, um, Christ being one of them, and Christ being God, and Christ replacing the Old Testament with the New Testament, that simply blows their minds, they can't deal with it. And therefore, they, they, they attempt to completely turn it inside out and upside down, which is what they succeed in doing with their anti-Christian propaganda. 
not, o- not only not only with the, the anti- Holocaust, yeah. the Holocaust becomes the new religion where you don't have to believe anything in order to belong. In Catholicism, you have to believe a lot of things in order to be Catholic, and some of them very not easy to believe. But three and one and one and three is a, is a great mystery. Baptism is a great mystery. And so the, 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 there are many, the, the Holy Eucharist is a tremendous mystery. These are mysteries which you have to accept, even though your mind cannot understand how they can be true. Three in one and one in three, Almighty God in a little piece of what looks like bread or what looks like wine. I mean, these, these, you really have to believe. But the, with the Holocaust, all you have to believe is the Jewish newspapers and the Jewish universities and the Jewish schools and the Jewish, everything Jewish, everything which the Jews have, have in, un, under their control by the fault of the Gentiles, by the foolishness and lack of faith of the Gentiles. The Gentiles have lost grip on the faith which God gave them, and they, they, they are then sitting ducks for the enemies of God and man, whose scripture says are the Jews. But, the, but the, the, the two things further immediately about the Jews. One, there are always Catholic exceptions. There are, when a Jew really becomes Catholic, he makes a very fine Catholic because he had, he had the New Testament in his blood in the form of the Old Testament, which he absorbed with 2,000 years from Abraham to Christ. His ancestors absorbed the true religion of Moses, which was the true religion of God, going back to Moses, and behind Moses back to Abraham. So there are always honorable and noble exception, in exceptional individuals amongst the, uh, amongst the people who are Jewish by race. And these individuals can make very fine the Catholic officials, um, cardinals, bishops, what, what, whatever you say. And the other, thing, the other thing about them is that at the very end of the world, Almighty God is going to convert the Jews as a block to make up as to show that they were God's people during all of that time. And the proof is how they converted before the world ended. So before the world ends, as St. Paul says in Romans, they will convert and show to the world how true the Catholic religion is. Very interesting. Okay. Well, I'm curious, uh, just two two final kind of concluding questions. questions relating to the modern Catholic Church. One, what is your official relationship with the Catholic Church today? And then secondly, where are where, what is your I guess just your your analysis of of the the modern Catholic Church? I mean, I'm looking at articles that that just came out over the course of the past month or so. Just the other day in fact, the Vatican apparently approved um or or, or yeah, more or less approved um same-sex couples getting married under certain conditions. And I, I also saw recently, I guess it was uh, in November, Pope Francis um, had like a luncheon with a group of transgender individuals yep. in the Vatican. Yep. I mean, yep. the, these sorts of stories that come out, and, and I don't know all of the details, but this to me is like fundamentally totally against the traditional Catholic faith. So I'm just curious, right. like, yeah, bo- could you address both those questions? Well, it's as though the Socialist Party ceased to be socialist, or the Conservative Party ceased to be conservative. It's as though this Conservative Party all became socialists, and the Socialists all became conservatives. 
they're denying their original principles. They are quite different from what they were. Catholics today are denying the basics of Catholicism, like one man, one woman. Marriage is one man, one woman, and, and not one man and one man or one woman and one woman. That's basic, absolutely basic. It's basic to society. You have man on man and woman on woman, you're not going to have any babies. The society is going to commit suicide. And Almighty God did not create this mankind on this planet if, for, man, for, for mankind to commit suicide. He wanted mankind on this planet in order to populate his heaven, to bring human beings that really wanted to be with God for eternity to enable them to do it. They could not do it as long as, as, long as Christ had not yet died. But as soon as Christ died on the cross and redeemed mankind, then souls could begin to go to heaven. And that's what God made this planet for. So that's the Catholics are completely un-Catholic. They've been completely undone, literally undone by the very skillful and persevering enemies of the church. It's taken those enemies 2,000 years to get to Vatican II, but they've got there and they're not going to fall over and pretend that they're dead tomorrow. They're going to go on destroying the church, which is exactly what you're observing when you can see this poor pope um, denying the very basic principles of Catholicism. They've lost right. their grip. They've lost their faith. They've lost their grip. They've lost their religion. They've lost their church. And they're, and they're so foolish and blind that they're happy that they've got rid of it. We've got rid of God. We're free now. We've got freedom. Cry freedom throughout the land. We're now free. We've got rid of God. Goodness gracious. Yeah, it's, it's pretty... When pretty... they die, they're going to find out whether they got rid of God or not. They're going to find that he's going to get rid of them pretty fast into the eternal fires of hell. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty disgraceful, like the, the, the modern institutionalized catholic church i mean i still go to catholic mass and and i don't really see any of this like sort of woke nonsense being promoted or, or, or talked about at the church that i go to but certainly like at the vatican level at an institutional level the the, the church has fundamentally been subverted it appears in many parishes down at ground level all over the world the catholic church has been essentially subverted i folks don't call me father i'm joe and we're here together today to have a happy, clappy picnic, a Eucharistic picnic, folks. Let's enjoy ourselves. We're all going to dance together around the altar. And if the girls are wearing slightly too short, too short skirts, that's too bad. We're still going to dance. Happy, be happy, joy, fun. Let's have fun, guys. That's the new religion. I'm obviously exaggerating and caricaturing, but that's the idea. Man is at the center, and man is going to have fun. And if you've got a parish where there's still some sense of God, still some piety, still some respect for God, still Ten Commandments, you're lucky. You're downright lucky because there are many Catholics who've lost that, who've lost the religion almost entirely in their parishes. Right. Well, what is your relationship with the Catholic Church today? Are you... Could, well, you, could you clarify that? Yeah. See, how can one say, when the official structure has blown itself sky high, which is what Pope Bergoglio is now doing, how do you belong to the Catholic Church? Do you belong by what you do? You, can you still belong by what you believe, by believing exactly what Catholics always used to believe? 
all over the world. If you can belong to the Catholic Church by believing that, then we are Catholics. If you say, you, in order to believe what, in order to belong to the Catholic Church, you've got to spout the same nonsense as the present officials of the Church, then, as Archbishop said, he's once said, I don't belong to the conciliar Church. He said, if the conciliar Church, which is the Church of Vatican II, the Church of the Council, Council Conciliar, if the conciliar Church um, throws me out, I don't mind one little bit because I never, I, he said, I never belong to the conciliar Church. I always belong to the Catholic Church, and I'm going to act and behave and talk in such a way as to continue like that to belong to the Catholic Church, because I don't want to die a Protestant, he said. And that says it all. Yeah, he was yeah true, very good. He was, the very, he was the truest, one of the truest members of the Catholic Church, even while he was revolting against or resisting what was going on, resisting the nonsense going on in Rome and in all the chanceries of the world, almost all. And by doing that, he was continuing to be a true Catholic and not allowing himself to become a conciliar Catholic, which is a Catholic believes all that nonsense you were just quoting about the Jews changing Catholic doctrine. That's a pack of nonsense. So I'm like, I profess to be like Archbishop Lefebvre, I profess again. The appearances may be that I I can't walk into any church anywhere anymore all over the world and be sure of being able to say mass, because I would not be received. There are many many parishes in which I would not be received. Does that mean I'm not a Catholic? It all depends upon what I believe. It's what a Catholic believes and what he acts on, how much he acts on his beliefs that makes him a Catholic, not what's going the nonsense going on in Rome. Right. Yeah. No. I, I I agree with you. I think that's a, a good a good perspective to hold. Um, well, I want to move on. There's some other topics I want to talk more about, and one of which are, are your views about World War II and the alleged Jewish Holocaust, which was we've kind of alluded to already. Um, that you know your your publicly expressed views have have gotten you into some trouble over the years. Um, like like most people who who question the official Holocaust story. There are often repercussions. And I'm just curious, just sort of as a general question, how did you even become familiar with revisionist perspectives of World War II and the alleged Jewish Holocaust? That's a reasonable question. I think the answer was, I wasn't aware of it much before I got to the United States, where I was right next to Canada at the time and in the years when Ernst Zundel was standing trial for publishing a pamphlet, uh, Richard Harwood, I think his name is the author, a pamphlet against uh, proving that the, uh, or arguing strongly that the um, Holocaust may be emotionally true. Uh, oh, 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 six million, oh, but it's not historically true. So you can say, uh, you mustn't offend the sensibilities of the poor, those poor people who lost relatives in the, in the concentration camps. Well, yes, okay. But don't tell me that the our concentration camps were being uh, arranged on a, a special program of uh, extermination. They weren't. They were labor camps, basically. And where, yeah. they, where the death rate rose heavily or sharply in, the, in those concentration camps was at the... Was the last few months of the war, 
when there was no more water, no more food and no more medicine because the Allied bombers were bombing, bombing anything that moved in the countryside. Do you know that the, the facts you've got to have in order to study the Holocaust, you, you've got to look into the facts. Am I looking for emotion? Am I looking for a false religion? Or am I looking for the real facts? That's the first question you've got to settle. Because the real facts are not the same as the satisfying emotions. The satisfying emotions are for the, uh, the, the relatives who want to weep. I'm, I'm not saying that there were no relatives that died in concentration camps. There were, but they weren't all that many. They were nothing like six million. Six million is, in fact, a, a Jewish figure for, for their Jewish business. It's got something to do with the, the number of people. I, I forget what it has to do with. I'm sorry. But the idea is that the idea for the Jews is that when a certain six million die, that's when the Messiah is coming. Because right. It's like this sort of mystical number you know yeah something like very talmudic very sort of mystical well and you know you're you're actually kind of addressing the, the second question i had and, and that is like if you could explain your overall views of the alleged holocaust like what really happened to the jews during world war ii because like the official narrative of the holocaust that we're taught in schools that we see you know depicted in hollywood movies and you know promulgated by the political establishment by the educational establishment, like if you go to a, a Holocaust museum, you know, the, the, the basic idea is that the Germans had a state-sanctioned policy of genocide to murder the Jews of Europe. They, they used homicidal gas chambers in these death camps, and six million Jews were murdered in this, this overall endeavor. And I think those, like, three main pillars have been conclusively scholarly debunked on, on by, by numerous individuals but i mean that, that's yeah that's the truth that's the historical truth so you've got a historical truth and an emotional truth emotional truth in inverted commas because it's not real truth because what we usually mean by truth is is um the things that actually happened did did were six million Jews actually and really put to death deliberately as a matter of policy within the Third Reich during the Second World War? And the answer is quite simply no. Was there a persecution of Jews? Yes, because the Germans considered that the Jews had inflicted real damage upon, uh, upon Germany and therefore they were simply getting rid of people who damaged Germany. But the idea of Hitler himself was to get to get get Jews out of Germany, not to kill Jews in Germany. Some Jews got killed, especially maybe in the concentration camps, but that was only because of the Allied bombers. It wasn't primarily the Germans trying to get rid of the Jews. That's just a myth. Right, and it certainly wasn't a state-sanctioned policy implemented. Absolutely yeah, not. implemented by the by the German government during World War II. No. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, do you have any um, particular views of Hitler and National Socialism or, or National Socialist Germany? Oh, boy, that is a minefield of a question, because, of course, the propaganda today is heavy that that if if the, the, the devil ever had an individual that imitated him on Earth, it was it was Adolf Hitler. 
That's one idea that the Jews have succeeded in establishing in almost everybody's head. And the other idea is to the idea that the Germans are um, mini devils. Every single one of them is a mini devil. Again, that's a caricature and exaggeration, but the Jews seriously claim that there's something, something terrible about Germans. But the war crimes during the Second World War were what, what the best behaved occupying army of the Second World War was probably the German army. You know, these things are, are, are truths that you discover if you start studying what really and actually happened. I'm not saying that the German soldiers were angels and angels and innocents, all of them, but the other the, the arm the soldiers of the other armies were just as bad, if not actually worse. Study the realities. You know, I, I think honestly that is probably the most mind-boggling aspect, at least in my opinion, like studying like the revisionist arguments of World War II and the alleged Jewish Holocaust, is coming to the realization that the, the as you said the Germans actually were probably the more the most professional and um sort of like righteous fighting force during that conflict i mean the, like you can even find documents from from uh the german government itself from the german military from the nsdap you know the 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 people that were in charge of of running and administering these labor camps and these concentration camps that if any prisoner or inmate was mistreated, there were very serious consequences for that German officer. There, there um, were at least two camp commandants that were executed by the Germans for mistreating people inside the camps. Right, exactly. Well, and I mean, that itself goes totally against this narrative that the Germans were trying to murder all these people, right? And, Absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and, and you come to realize that they actually were trying their hardest to ensure that there was a healthy sanitary living environment in these camps that was not an easy that was not an easy thing to do especially towards the end of the war as you mentioned when their you know supply lines were being bombed and just the country was was rapidly falling apart um but then on the other hand um there are there's all sorts of very legitimate evidence showing that the allied powers the united states uh great britain um, the Soviet Union certainly were committing all sorts of war crimes during the war and afterwards. So there it's almost are. like it's li- like the official narrative of World War II is I come I've come to view it as literally an inversion of the actual yep. truth of empirical. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But that's about I don't you're barely exaggerating. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and it's such a travesty because this narrative of World War II has been and, – and the you know the demonization of Hitler that you referred to as like the epitome of the devil on earth and the Germans have, as being these evil monsters that wanted to take over the world and, and murder all the Jews. These, these are narratives that are not backed up by any empirical data or facts, yet they have been systematically implanted in the minds of the masses all over the, the Western world. That's the power and skill of the enemies of God and man when these enemies are not opposed by the Catholic faith. The Catholic faith does not say you've got to exterminate all of these people who want to exterminate the rest of the human race, tit for tat. No, our divine Lord says love your enemies. He doesn't say treat them like your friends. He does not say treat them like your friends. That is to say behave as though they are your friends 
because you could easily get, you know, they could easily get rid of you. If you if you lay yourself open to it, they, if you're foolish and silly and lay yourself open to be exterminated, killed by them, they will kill you because they are your enemies. So you don't behave as though they were you don't behave as though they were friends, but you need to love them as though they were your friends. That's not the same thing. That's what our Lord says. That's what the Christian religion says. What does the Mohammedan religion says? Kill your enemies. Jihad, a holy war. Make a holy war. Then, of course, these people turn around and say, well, what about your Inquisition, your Catholic Inquisition? Well, that's a different story. But they say, in brief, the, very brief, the, the story of the Inquisition is that the, the state, if it was intelligent enough, knew that heresy was the great enemy of the state. And therefore, they wanted to get rid of heretics. An intelligent civil ruler wanted to get rid of heretics. But what does he know about the, the ins and outs of theology? So he asks the church to tell him, we, the state, are going to bring to you these individuals. You must tell us if they're heretics or not. If they're heretics and obstinate heretics, we shall punish them. If they're heretics but they recant the heresy, we shall let them free. If they're not heretics, we shall let them free. Uh, but if they, are, if they are convinced heretics, where you, the professionals in doctrine, have said what the faith is and what heresy is, and you declare that these are obstinate heretics, that's all we need to know in which to get them out of the way, just like counterfeiters or spies or murderers or homosexuals or, or all other serious enemies of the state. They have lost their right, right to live in this state, and the remedy is capital punishment. We will have a, a priest to accompany them all the way to the scaffold. They will be able to make their peace with God up to the very last moment before they're executed. But executed they will be for the good of the state. That's, that's the reasoning behind capital punishment. But of course now people are so soft and silly that there's no possible justification of capital punishment. And even the Catholic Church has said that. Or even these, church, these foolish churchmen have said that. Mm, right. the, foolish, the foolishness of the people that lose the faith, lose the true faith, or lose true churchmen to make sure of the true faith, the foolishness of such people is immeasurable. But the enemies of God encourage that so that as many souls as possible will go to hell, which is what their masters want, their masters being the devils under Satan. Yes, I completely agree with that. Um, now, I wanted to ask you a couple couple kind of uh, concluding questions. Um, first, can you talk about the legal persecution that you have experienced? I know in Germany, for example, um, and, and, and perhaps elsewhere, um, I, you were more or less targeted by the German state because of your publicly expressed views of World War II. Can you talk about yeah some of the, the persecution that you've experienced over the years or over your career? It's it's not very interesting. It's the these poor officials convinced that uh, you know somebody who denies a Holocaust, the Holocaust is is an enemy of the state. It's simply not true. Those who deny the Holocaust are the best friends of truth and the best friends of any sane state. But of course, the states are not under the control of sane people today. The states are under the control of those poor people. Therefore, of course, they go after somebody who denies the Holocaust and refuses to retract or, or declines to retract. 
that was my case. So I, I, I went through a series of trials over a number of years. I finished, I finished, I had to pay, pay something like 14,000 uh, euros, 7,000 one lot and 7,000 another lot. But um, a few years later, there was a, a good old woman who died somewhere in Germany and who left me, uh, it turned out, 39,000 euros. So by Germany as a whole, I was more than compensated for having been persecuted by, uh, by, by the state. And the state officials, you know, most of them don't know what they're, what they're really doing. And if they do know, they, they have a child and family to look after. They can't afford to rise up against the whole system. Right. It's a luxury. Yeah. It's a luxury to be able to rise up against the system. And that's my case. I've not, I haven't got a wife. I haven't got children. I haven't got immediate family dependent upon, depending upon me. Uh, I, I'm, in that respect, I'm free. I, if I say things which deserve punishment, the punishment will fall upon me. It won't fall upon anybody else. So, you know, it's not such a big deal. Altogether, it's not such a big deal. Uh, I, I was regretful, regretful, regretful at the time, but I've been more than compensated by Mrs. Ozen ever since. Wow, that's that's an interesting development. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> you actually get compensated for <laughs> all the persecution you've well. You've that's experienced. the way I can look at it. Yeah, yeah. No. She 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 left me this legacy, and it was a quarter of her complete fortune. It was it was quite considerable. It must have been well over a hundred a hundred thousand uh, euros. Uh, I couldn't. I don't know how much, but it it was a it was a handsome sum, and I got a full quarter of it. Um, the Society of Society got a half of it. I only got a quarter. They got a half. Two of the institutions of the Society got a half, got each of those a quarter. And then there was another quarter for another 30 individual legatees of hers. So her, her fortune was split up, but I had a very handsome part of it. And that was undoubted. I never knew this woman. I never met her. I never talked to her. She never talked to me. But it was undoubtedly because I stood out for Germany. Right, I stood up for right. real and decent Germany, the Germany of truth instead of the Germany of lies. And well, and you know, and yeah, and, and that's what's so interesting. I mean, like one of the, I would argue, the most important aspect of Western political and educational, you know, like traditions, I guess, like the bedrock of, you know, our foundational principles in, in education and, and politics is free speech you know, freedom of inquiry, freedom of, you know, debating whatever topic is out there. And, and this foundation has been totally eroded almost entirely by this alleged Holocaust story, right? You could say so. You could kind of say so. But if the Holocaust is a great, great untruth, then you're claiming uh, liberty for untruth. Liberty for untruth is not the same as liberty for truth. Truth is, is, is a much higher value than liberty. Our Lord says the truth will make you free. It doesn't say freedom will make sure you've got the truth. That's what Jefferson thought. Jeff, Thomas Jefferson thought, just throw the truth out in the free market and it, it will make its own way. With original sin, that's not true. Jefferson did not believe in original sin. Our Lord is true. Our Lord said the truth will make you free. If you Christianize a country and keep it Christianized long enough, sooner or later, the, the women will be able to walk out on the streets at night without being molested. 
because of the Ten Commandments and because of the confessional and because of the law courts, which will execute criminals who, who fall upon the women who are, who are alone in the street. But if you, if you Christianize a country long enough, the women will be able to walk freely at night in the street. That's ceasing to be the case in many cities now in Europe. You can't, a woman can't walk out alone at night. A man can't walk out alone at night in various parts of modern cities. And the police can't go into certain quarters of many big, big American, big European cities because the, the police will be killed. So this is where the, the, modern, the modern cities are coming to with liberty and without Christ. I would rather have Christ in the country than liberty. Liberty is dangerous because it, liberty means liberty for evil just as much as liberty for good. Right, yeah, that's a, that's a very good way of looking at it. Well, before we wrap up, I got to get your take on what is currently playing out in Gaza, this this total genocide of of the Palestinians. At least that's the sort of policy that the state of Israel is pursuing. I don't know if you saw, but just the other day, I think it was maybe over the weekend, um, this past weekend, a couple um, I'm I'm pretty sure I don't know exactly all the details. I know they were Catholics. Um, they, they were Israel basically targeted a convent, I believe, in Gaza, and a couple um, Catholics were murdered. And the and the Pope actually, to his credit, condemned it as an act of terrorism. Did you see that story? Uh, yes. Well, yeah, and, and I guess I mean this is just one example. I mean Israel has been targeting Christians and 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 Muslims for that matter for. A very very long time really since its founding and has been pursuing ethnic cleansing policies of of the former territory known as palestine since its founding um, I, I think what's going on over there is just absolutely outrageous and to see the the united states vir virtually every member of the federal government totally backing this absolute barbaric genocidal policy in palestine is is simply outrageous to me it's those people. That's that's what they brought themselves to. Because they rejected Christ. They, with you, when you reject Christ, you're rejecting God. He was the God man. He was true true God of true God, and true man of true woman. Um, he was true God and true man. Uh, if you reject Christ, you're rejecting God and man, and that's what these people do. They are absolutely convinced that they are God's chosen race. This is from a completely twisted understanding of the Old Testament. If it's from anywhere, that's where it's from. Otherwise, it's not legitimate. It's not a real backing of God. And of course, God doesn't back anything like what's going on in Palestine. But they think they are the chosen race. They think they have the right to do as they like. They despise the rest of the human race as being no better than animals. That's what they're taught in their Talmud. They are really convinced that they are so superior that the rest of the human beings are, are animals. It's unbelievable. But that's what that's their state. And if they are no better than animals, then they've got no human rights. If they have no human rights, why shouldn't they be shot to pieces? That's the way they think. Yep, that that's definitely their mindset, and that mindset is on vivid display for the world to see. And it it, it looks like most right. of the world most of the world does in fact 
recognize that. It's only America's bought and paid for political leaders and, of course, our complicit and compliant mass media that, you know, backs this absolute madness, this this outrageous, barbaric behavior over in Palestine. Yep. But d does God exist or not? Many of these people are convinced he doesn't even exist. They are God. They are the Messiah. The Jewish people are the Messiah. That's what they think. Or their leaders, many of their leaders think. I repeat, there are some Jews who are very fine exceptions, especially fine. When they convert, when they convert, really, and not just apparently, as you were quoting of some of them earlier, when they convert, really, they make some of the very best Catholics and Christians. But they've got to convert, really, which means they've got to completely get over this terrible racial pride which is in their, which is in their veins. They are the best. They are the very best. Nobody can match them. Nobody does match them. And they deserve to reign, reign over the world. They, the, the, the domination of the world belongs by right to them and to nobody else. That's what they think. Right. That's their and mindset. Thought, and any means taken to achieve that goal are justified. The end justifies the means. The end of exterminating the Palestinians justifies their drive. Uh, th their drive to dominate the world justifies their exterminating the Palestinians and exterminating all other races that get in their way, all other countries that get in their way, all other peoples that get in their way. It's insane. Almighty God allows them on the face of the earth to spur, to spur the Christians to be real Christians. He makes use of them. They they don't want to serve him. They hate him, like they hate Christ, like they hate man. But uh, he uses them to, to act, act as a, a, a challenge and act as a, um, a scourge if those who are meant to be Catholics don't behave like Catholics. They will then be scourged by these poor people. So... Right. No, Without wanting to serve him, they are actually still serving him. You don't want to yeah. serve me? Okay, even with your frame of mind, I will make you, I will be able to make use of you. I will make use of you. He's the one being that can outsmart them. <laughs> right. We yeah, I think that's a, a very good way of looking at the situation. We, we dumb Gentiles are no match for the Jews. They'll run over us every time. But they are, no, they are no match for Almighty God. That's the truth of the matter. Right. And so he makes, use, he makes use of them even when they hate him. Yes, sir. I agree. Well, Bishop Williamson, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. It was really quite an honor to speak with you. I've been a, a big fan of your work over the years. So thanks a lot for taking the time. Cool. And yeah, we'll definitely stay in touch. I'll have links over to your newsletter. You're, sur you're still writing... Is it is it a weekly newsletter? It's a, it's a weekly bulletin, you could call it. Weekly yes. bulletin, right? I'll have a link over to that. If anybody wants to sign up, you just simply enter your email, and you'll get the email notification when it comes out. Um, that's a good way to to follow your work. And um, yeah, we'll stay in touch. Maybe we can do this again in the future. Uh, but for now, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. Sure, God yeah. bless you, sir. Thank you very much. Okay, and Merry Thanks. Christmas.
Likewise, God bless.